Welcome to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, the show where brilliant professionals share how to sharpen the universal skills required to flourish at work. Enjoy more career fun, wins, meaning, and money with your host, Pete Mikaitis. Hello, and thanks for joining us here for episode 782 with Joshua Becker. Joshua's got some excellent perspective when it comes to how to overcome distraction through his mindset of minimalism and how that applies to so many things. You'll learn one, the one thing that starts the day off right, two, how money can prevent us from growing in our jobs, and three, how to tackle technology addiction. So if you want to check out the show notes or the transcript or the links to items that we've mentioned here, please pay us a visit at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP782. Here's Joshua's story. Joshua Becker is the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestselling author of five books, Things That Matter, The Minimalist Home, The More of Less, Clutter-Free with Kids, and Simplify. He's the founder and editor of Becoming Minimalist, a website dedicated to intentional living visited by over 1 million readers every month with a social media following of over 3 million. His blog was named by Success Magazine as one of the top 10 personal development websites on the internet, and his writing has been featured in publications all around the world. Big thanks to Joshua for sharing his wisdom with us, and big thanks to our sponsors. Check them out. One sponsor to check out is LinkedIn Jobs. Did you know that you can post a job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome? And with a fresh year, perhaps you're like many small business owners looking for some fresh insight and talent to make 2024 extra amazing. Well, LinkedIn Jobs has created tremendous tools to help you find the right professionals for your team faster and free. I love how they make it so easy with their promotion and selection tools. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. No, no. No, LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire. Here's some fun facts. 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours, and small businesses rate LinkedIn jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash be awesome. That's linkedin.com slash B-E-A-W-E-S-O-M-E, as in you are being awesome, be awesome, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Now, here's Joshua. Joshua, welcome to How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Oh, it is good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Oh, certainly. Well, I'm excited to talk about your book, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life. But first, I want to hear a little bit about you and your family's story. You've become a minimalist. What does that mean in practice and what's the tale behind it? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, let's start with the easy stuff, huh? Small background. I grew up pretty typical middle class uh, America. I've been married now for 23 years and have two kids. And like most American families, it seems like whenever we got a pay increase, we just increase the size of our house and increase the amount of stuff in it. Uh, My life changed 14 years ago. Uh, My son was five, my daughter was two. And I was introduced to minimalism on a Saturday morning. I was living in Vermont at the time. Phoenix is now home for me. But I was living in Vermont, and we had had this long winter. We were going to do our spring cleaning. I offered to clean out the garage. It had gotten all dirty and disheveled over the course of the winter. My son Salem was five at the time. I, some for some reason, had this vision that he was going to enjoy cleaning the garage with his mm-hmm. father. 
but he lasted about 30 seconds and went into the backyard and my garage project just compounded and compounded. And hours later, I was still working on the same garage. And I started complaining about it to my neighbor who was doing all of her yard work. And she introduced me to minimalism. She said, you know, that's why my daughter's a minimalist. She keeps telling me I don't need to own all this stuff. And I remember looking at the pile of things in my driveway, dirty and dusty. I'd spent all day taking care of them. And out of the corner of my eye, there was my five-year-old son swinging alone on the swing set in the backyard uh, where he had been all morning long. And I suddenly realized, Pete, that not only were my possessions not making me happy, like most of us would say, but even worse, all the things I owned were actually distracting me from the very thing that did bring me happiness in life. And not just happiness, but purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment. And so that was the start of our journey into minimalism, our journey into owning less so that I could free up more of my life for the things that actually do bring back uh, dividends that pay off in the long run. And so owning less, I mean, there's such a spectrum yeah. between stuff and how much is enough and too much and not enough. How do you think about that? Yeah. So it's very interesting because when I, so this was 14 years ago. Uh, I don't think there were any, I think I was the first blog. I, I started the blog that weekend, just a diary, Becoming Minimalist is uh, the name of the website. And I started just to keep track of what we were doing and what I was getting rid of. Becoming Minimalist was a decision that we had made. And so it seemed like the perfect title for the website. At that time, most people writing about minimalism, they were in their 20s and they were backpacking around the world or they owned a hundred things or 20 things. And like, I was never drawn to that type of lifestyle. I liked my neighborhood. I liked the school that my kids were going to. I liked having people over into our home that were new to the neighborhood, or I, uh, I worked at a church at the time, people who were new to the church. And so minimalism for me never became about, I just want to own the least amount of things as possible. That's not ever what I pursued. I pursued, I want to own just the right amount of things so that I can focus most of my life on the things that matter. And that's always going to change from person to person. It's going to look different from a family of eight to a single person in their 20s. It's going to look different if you live in the country, if you live in the city, if you're an architect or a teacher or a writer or a farmer or a mechanic. Like You're going to own different things in order to pursue those things that are most important to you. But in most cases, the things that we've accumulated and the things that we continue to pursue have actually become the distraction from those greatest values in life. And so how each person finds that, I think, looks different from how they shake out looks different from person to person. But I think the value is in the pursuit and in starting to recognize how possessions become so much of a distraction from us for us. All right. And so then in the book, Things That Matter... Are we talking distractions in terms of like physical stuff, items, as well as what are some other key distractions? Sure. The uh, possessions is a chapter in the book, but there are eight distractions that I cover in the book that distract us from a meaningful life. I cover fear, 
I cover past mistakes. I cover the selfish pursuit of happiness, the distraction of money, the distraction of possessions, the distraction of accolades, the distraction of leisure, and the distraction of technology, or maybe trivial is a better way to, to say that last one. Mm-hmm. Well, so yeah, I, uh, people hear the title, Things That Matter, Overcoming Distraction to Pursue a More Meaningful Life, and, uh, and they think that is a book I need to read. My, my phone is definitely a distraction. Like we can all, we can all picture that one. And then I, I think the book uh, really hopefully challenges us to, to think through distraction in, in broader and um, more socially ingrained ways than simply I'm playing too many levels of Candy Crush on my phone. All right. Well, before we dig into a couple of them in particular, are there any sort of fundamental mindsets, beliefs, habits, behaviors that uh, transcend or, or cover all of them that'd be handy for folks to take on? in terms of pursuing a more meaningful life and being more awesome at their jobs? Yeah, they're very broad and they're very varied. The distraction of fear is is very different than the distraction of social media. But if I were to try to boil down the, the premise of the book that I think applies to all of them, it would be, I start with the story of my grandfather who asked me to play a part in his funeral and how it was really a, a life-changing conversation hearing my grandpa talk about death, not fearing death, not uh, regretting that death was coming, but proud of the way he had lived his life, uh, so much so that he had few regrets uh, about how he had lived. And my question became, how, how do we get to the end of our lives with, with fewer regrets? And I, I think the way we do it is we we identify what is essential. Uh, we identify what is important. We look at the distractions that are keeping us from those main pursuits in life. And then we work to overcome them every single day going forward. Uh, and so if there's any if there's any uniting thought between the distractions, it's that we were designed to to live meaningful lives, that there are pursuits and there's a good that we can bring into the world that no one else can bring into the world. And we need to work hard to overcome those distractions that keep us from it and realize that it's not a, a one and done thing, that we need to do this uh, every single day when we wake up. To take it to work every single day when we go to work, we need to overcome the uh, the distractions that, that keep us from doing our best, most meaningful work in our jobs. And do you have any key guiding principles or, or questions or, or thought exercises to help us zero in and distinguish the essential from the non-essential? Well, yeah, very interesting. We, we did a survey for the book, and one of the questions we asked is, would you say that you have identified a clear purpose for your life? And I was surprised, uh, 70% of people say that they have identified a clear purpose for their life, which I thought it would be lower, but I uh, was excited to see so many people who, who would say that. We asked a follow-up question, how often do you feel you are spending time and resources on less important pursuits at the expense of things that matter? And 77% of people uh, say that they often spend time and money and energy on things that aren't as important as that thing that that their clear purpose is. And so number one, you know, I think there's just a a thought process to taking a look at our our passions, taking a look at our abilities, 
the personality that we have and working hard to discover like what is most important to me and what role can I play in bringing that about or in pursuing that goal. Just thinking of, I mean, all the different problems in the world. Uh, this is a side note, but I'm, I'm pretty convinced one of, the, one of the reasons we have so much division in our country, in the world today, is that the people are passionate about different problems and we seem to have begun judging people in that way, that if you are not as passionate about the same problem that I'm passionate about, then there's something wrong with you or you're, you're distracted rather than leaning into, hey, I'm, I'm passionate about solving this problem. I'm passionate about serving this person and leaning into that. So I think number one, just elevating what what it is that we want to do in the world and the role that that we want to play and how we bring about the uh, the greatest good for the greatest number of people uh, is how I like to say that. And then and then starting each day with a with a thought exercise, I would just call it setting my setting my uh, intention uh, every day that I I wake up every day and one of my first thoughts usually when I'm in the shower is hey today I commit myself to something and fill in that blank. And it's usually the same thing every day, but somehow starting the day uh, and setting, hey, this is what I'm pursuing this day. This is what's going to be important to me today. I I learned that in college from a mentor of mine and have tried to keep it as a daily exercise as much as possible. And could you give us some examples of articulations of both uh, life purpose as well as a daily intention? Yeah. For me, I think they'll hopefully uh, stem from each other. So for me, I always say there's three main purposes that I have with my life. And the first two come from the first one. So like my greatest purpose in life, my greatest goal in life, the thing I desire most is I, I want to be a faithful follower of God. So my faith has always been important to me, and this is always my driving force. Beneath that, I, I want to be a faithful husband. I want to be uh, an intentional father. I want to focus on the relationships that are in front of me. So I always want relationships to, to be important to me. And the second thing, or the third thing, depending how you're counting, is I, I want to make an impact in the world. And I want to use my, my gifts and talents, and I want to help as many people as I possibly can. And so those are the the main driving forces in my life. As opposed to, I want to make as much money as possible. I want to be as famous as possible. I want to rise to the top of my corporation. I, I want to own a house in that neighborhood. Those are the, the purposes that, that drive me the most. And then, of course, I think the goals along the way change. So uh, my son just left for college. And so me being an intentional father when he's 19 is different than me being an intentional father when he's three, but it's uh, the same purpose. The, the goals just, the goals just change. And so, so for me, my, my daily intention uh, every morning would be, I want to, again, just as a faith-based intention, I, I want to honor God with, with my day. So that's, that's how I would set out every single morning, but it, you know, might look different for, for someone else. I, I want to be the best mom that I can be today. I want to be the best architect that I can be today. I, I want to serve people the best that I can today. It looks different for different people. All right. Well, then zooming into the, the eight distractions, 
could we zero in on a couple that what do you think are the most widespread, destructive, and easiest to get some quick wins on? Yeah, so good ones, because uh, How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast, man, so many, I think, of these distractions can pop up in work specifically or in life more more generally. Fear, I think, the distraction of fear can pop up, I think, in our work over and over again. And it was really interesting. A, a friend of mine actually brought about this distraction. It, it wasn't on my radar when I was uh, penciling out the book or had the idea for the book. And so uh, he's the one that that kind of shared it with me. And the the more research I did into fear, the really the more fascinating it became that I interviewed someone for the book, his, uh, his stories in the book, and he's always had this fear of failure. And it was interesting because he would say that his fear of failure, as he looks back over his jobs and careers, he said, my fear of failure follows me. And he said, even when I became more successful in an organization, the more successful I became, the more my fear of failure began to haunt me, is the way he would say. And so as he as he rose up in the corporation and got more and more responsibilities and closer and closer to the top, he said, my fear of failing, my fear of being found out that I'm not actually good at my job would like, eventually he said it led him to resign from every good job he's ever had. Mm. And that was a, it was a new way for me to, to look at, uh, to look at fear that it's not something that we just overcome one time, but we, we recognize it over and over again and how the fear of failure can force us to, to set low expectations or small goals. One of the ways we, we overcome the fear of failure is we, we just try little things. Uh, we, we set very easy goals that we can attain because we don't want to really march for something that, that we might not attain. So certainly I think, I think that's a big one. Well, and so if we do have that, the fear, and maybe it's failure or, or something else, and that can, one, just suck in terms of the experience of, of having that o- over your shoulder. And two, cause us to, you know, not, not stretch for, for opportunities that, that are bigger or, or riskier. How do we overcome that distraction? Yeah. Well, number one, I think we become aware of it. I mean, number one, I think we just in that conversation with my friend, it was, it was interesting. Like, I, I think he was learning as much about himself in my interview as, uh, as, as he knew going in. He's like, you know what? I think this has led to me leaving every job I've had now that I'm saying it out loud. And, and now that I'm, now that I'm talking about it and, uh, and he would trace it back to just conversations I think he had with his father and some of the the words that his his father spoke into him about being good for nothing. And he he said, I I feel like I thought that I had I had overcome that, but now I can recognize that it's it's still sabotaging me even uh, even to today. And so I think recognizing that number two, I think believing people when they speak confidence into us uh, to not push those compliments aside as just flattery or uh, someone trying to trying to get something out of us. But if we've heard this compliment over and over again that that we're good at something to to begin believing it. 
I'm not the type of person who says that we always avoid fear. Like I, I think there is some healthy fear that that we have in life. I mean, fear hopefully keeps us from doing dumb things, but it's when it's when the fear is irrational, when, hey, I have been successful in my career. These are competent people ahead of me in the organization that they keep promoting me or keep giving me more responsibility. Why am I so afraid uh, that I can't do this job? Or why am I afraid of taking on this new responsibility or taking on this new project or really trying at this new goal? Or why would I let one setback keep me from from trying again if if this is really what I I feel like I'm supposed to do and and good that I can bring uh, bring about into the world. So so I think recognizing that and uh, looking back at our past and learning from others and putting some safety nets in place. I guess if if we need to, I tell a story how I I transitioned. So I I worked at a church. Now I just write full time and. That was a pretty fearful thing for me to do to to become self employed and become a full time writer. And along the way, there were we can save some money and uh, we can put some money aside to dissipate that fear a little bit. So putting some of that safety net in place as well. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about money next as as a distraction. How does that cause havoc? Eighty percent of Americans, uh, actually, it's seventy nine percent of Americans, say they'll be happier if they have more mm-hmm. money. And uh, over 90% of Americans have financial-related stress, which has always been a really fascinating statistic to me. I think it's like 92% of Americans have financial-related stress. And there are certainly some people who don't have enough money, but it is not 92% of us. I mean, we are statistically the wealthiest nation in the history of the world and still 90 plus percent of us are worried about money it's not because we don't have enough money it's not because we don't have enough income coming in in most cases it is simply because we have started looking for money to bring something into our lives that it is never able to provide happiness and security. We think that more money will make us happier. Uh, We think more money will make us feel more secure. 87% of millionaires say that they are not wealthy. And there was a, a study done by Boston College, and they they did a study of the the ultra rich they called it, and uh, among people with a, a twenty million dollars net worth or more, when asked if they had enough money, the most common response is, "I just need twenty five percent more, hmm. and then I'll feel secure." And so, what happens is we start chasing happiness and we start chasing security in money. And then we start making more money, our, our net worth goes up or our income goes up, and we realize that we're not that much happier, we don't feel that much more secure. And so rather than thinking, hey, maybe money isn't going to provide this happiness and security, we tend to just think that we had the wrong number in mind. And we start thinking, oh, I just need that much money, or I need that much income. 77% of Americans say that almost daily they're, they're motivated by having more money. 
And uh, I think this plays into our job. This plays into our work because the goal of our work, the goal of our job becomes how do I make more money in my job rather than how do I serve people better in my job? How do I find more meaning in my job? How do I help people more in my job? When the motivation just becomes, how do I get more money? I think that we lose out on a lot of satisfaction and a lot of fulfillment, uh, a lot of meaning, and even a lot of growth that we can find in our work and in our job and in our careers. Yeah, that that really resonates. And this reminds me, I, I've quoted this a couple of times, but this this song, Ill With Want by the Avett Brothers, there's just a, a stanza that just grabs me. That 25% more comment, it goes, I am sick with wanting and it's evil how it's got me. And every day is worse than the one before. The more I have, the more I think I'm almost where I need to be. If only I could get a little more. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that is, that is it. I just, I kind of tease myself if I start falling for that, whether it's money or I think about podcast downloads, like, oh boy, when I have 18 million downloads and then mm-hmm. I'll be happy. It's like, it's an absurdity. And I like it much like the possessions. It's not only is it maybe enough, but it could be actively harming you if if you're pursuing more money at the expense of other dimensions of your career that that really are bigger drivers of happiness. And I think it was a paper with Daniel Kahneman and others. And I've updated the number for inflation a few times, but it's something like in America, they didn't see happiness gains above $75,000 or they became quite minimal at that point. Yeah. Which I thought kind of resonates like, okay, when you're not like worried about like your home, your vehicle, your food, your ability to, to do a bit of saving and, and giving, then that's a lot is taken care of there. Yeah. There's a a Harvard study and they uh, surveyed a hundred thousand adults, which I, I always think it's the go-to For me, the go-to study on money and happiness, there's literally some studies say there's no connection between money and happiness. Some 75,000 is the most common quoted one. There's one study that said it's 24,000. There's one study that literally says the more money you have, the happier you can be. And, but this, this Harvard study, they, they tried to really sort out this answer. And what they discovered was it's not so much about how much money you have, but it's what priority are you making money in your life? And what they discovered is that people who trade off more important things to get more money end up less happy than those who just pursued the things that are important. And so for them is about time. And it was this whole idea of Hey, if I just work really hard for the next six months, then I'll make it financially and I can finally focus on the things that matter most. If that's the thinking that we embrace in our jobs, those people always end up less happy, even if they have more money than the person who says, no, I have enough already and I'm just going to focus my time on family, or I'm going to focus my time on hobbies or focus my time on these pursuits that mean the most to me. And so I I think that's, that's one of the things because there's, I always say there's no limit to the amount of money-making opportunities 
in the world. Like if the goal just becomes, I want to have more money, like there's no end to the amount of things that we can sacrifice or give up in pursuit of that, because I don't think it ever, we never reach that security that we think it's going to bring us. And so uh, we just constantly want more and we take on the new opportunity and the, and the, the new clients or whatever, whatever it might be. So anyway, and your, your story about podcasts is great because there's a whole chapter on Mm -hmm. accolades, which is basically, basically that whole point, you know, it's in some ways podcast downloads equals money in some indirect way or direct way Mm -hmm. or Instagram likes. Yeah. But when the goal becomes, Hey, I just want this many people to, to know my name or this many people to be listening to the podcast or this many people to be, uh, to be mentioning me, what it can do, like, you know, this, like it can change the content of your podcast. Like, you know, by now a topic you could put on that is going to be really popular and is going to be downloaded pretty often. Like I know the articles that I can write on becoming minimalist that are going to go more viral, but they aren't necessarily the content that helps people the most or is the most meaningful work that I can do. Same with your podcast, I'm I'm sure. Yeah, I, I guess I do, I do think that way about the podcast and meaning because I believe the most popular podcast categories are news, sports, politics, true crime. And I've listened to three out of four of those categories and and it's kind of entertaining, mm-hmm. occasionally riveting, <laughs> but it's rarely improves the quality of my life in terms of like, I heard an awesome hacker story and, and okay, maybe there's an actionable nugget about password manager. <laughs> yeah. And it was a thrill for the moment. Talk about Darknet Diaries, Jack Resider, free shout out. But in terms of, that's, that's what gets me going is when, when listeners say, whoa, I did this thing and I got this result and life is better from that. Like, that's the coolest. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think that there's a time and a space for sports and entertainment and, and hobbies, like I'm, not to discount those things, but for me, I, yeah, I mean, you could get more podcast downloads by doing something. I, I could write the article. One weird trick you know, to uh, become minimalist. You won't. <laughs> one weird trick to, to never collect clutter again. Right. And I just know that it's going to get a lot of clicks and it's going to get a lot of views, but it's not true that there isn't. <laughs> There isn't an easy, an easy one-step answer to, to some of these things. So, All right. Let's talk about technology. That is often the source of much distraction. Any unique insights to share here? Yeah. My approach to technology is, and obviously it was always going to be an important chapter uh, in the book. And look, I get to do what I do today because of technology. And so this was never going to be hey, how do we avoid technology and technology is evil? I mean, we're here today because of technology. What I think the problem is, the way I look at technology is I try to notice a difference between creation and consumption when it comes to technology. I can use technology to write an article. I can use technology to to be on this podcast. I can use technology to uh, create something that's going to spread on social media, or I can use technology to scroll cat videos or play Candy Crush or watch and binge another season of something on, on Netflix. And so 
noticing in my life the difference between, hey, I'm using technology to bring about good or I'm just using it and it's become a distraction. And so that's always the the first way that I that I think about technology to try to help me, I think, notice the the good uh, and the bad. And again, not that there's not space for cat videos and whatever the video game is that we might be playing, but when it becomes a distraction is when it when it becomes the problem. And for me, I have always taken, I shouldn't have always taken, I started about four or five years ago. I started taking one annual tech fast every single year. And the first time I did it, it was for 40 days. I've done it as low as 14 days and up to 40 days, which was the longest, where uh, I just set aside a time where I do ideally no technology in my life. That's not usually possible with uh, with my job and with most people's jobs, but there are still limitations that that we can put on it uh, in terms of, hey, I'm just going to use my computer when when I'm at work. I'm not going to uh, do anything for, not going to do social media for 14 days, or I'm not going to play my games for 14 days, turn off the TV for 14 days, whatever, whatever it might be. And uh, having that period of time where for me, going that whole cold turkey route is better than, hey, I'm just going to turn off the TV at 9 p.m. or I'm going to limit my social media to 30 minutes a day. I I've always just done better with three weeks of uh, no social media, three weeks of no television. And then I always, I think it helps me evaluate better uh, when I come back. Yeah. And then you can really feel, I think, more of the impact of the difference. Like, oh, okay. Like if I go on a camping trip where technology just isn't even an option, it's like, oh, this is, there's some loveliness here versus if it's just small changes or interventions often lead to small results. And so, but not always, that's rather exciting when there's leverage there. Yeah. And so, yeah. A little bit like a, you know, I always think of like a, a food detox, it, you know, is the, the way to, mm-hmm. to way to think about that. If I'm, if I think, Hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm allergic to, to dairy and you cut it out, you take it out of your, uh, of your diet for a month. And then the first time you come back and have a glass of milk and you can feel it, you're like, Oh this actually was having a, a more negative impact on my body than, than I thought it was. I thought it was just normal how I felt, uh, but now I can see the, the impact that it has. And so, you know, you, you cut out social media for a month uh, over the month of July or the month of August and you enjoy your summer. And then you come back in and you're like, ah, oh, that's kind of a waste of time scrolling this constantly every evening. Mm-hmm. Well, Joshua, tell me anything else you want to make sure to mention before we hear about some of your favorite things. We asked if how much your past was harming your future. And uh, 61% of people uh, self-reported that something they had done in the past, a past mistake was keeping them from the future they wanted. And 55% of people said that a past mistake committed against them was keeping them from the life that they wanted to be living in the future. And that's just the people that could identify it. And certainly there's a lot of overlap there but man, that is that is a lot of, of bottled up potential. That's a lot of people who can say, hey, I am not able to live the life I want today because of something that happened in my past. And I just encourage people, if that's, if that's you, to turn and face that problem, whether it's getting professional help or reading something or talking to a friend, like it doesn't have to be that way. Not easy to overcome but it's a distraction that I really think we need to need to work hard to overcome. So, all right. Well, now can you share a favorite quote, something you find inspiring? 
Yeah, a favorite quote, actually one that I uh, use in the opening chapter of Things That Matter came from uh, Seneca, the philosopher, and, and this is what he said. He said, it is not that we have a short time to live, but that we waste a lot of it. Life is long enough, and a sufficiently generous amount has been given to us for the highest achievement if it were all well invested. But when it is wasted in heedless luxury and spent on no good activity— We are forced at last by death's final constraint to realize that it passed away before we knew it was passing, which is very much, I think, the message of minimalism and the message of this book, that we would uh, invest our lives in things that matter. Mm -hmm. And can you share a favorite book? A favorite book? Man, the greatest book that I read recently is The Greatest Salesman in the World. It's an old book, and I I bought it for everyone on my team, and I, I recommend it to, to everyone. All right. And a favorite tool, something you use to be awesome at your job? I mean, I just want to say my computer here. My favorite tool, got to be my my laptop computer. I mean, as uh, boring as, as that sounds, I've, I make my living online and uh, have found it to be a, a powerful opportunity to, to influence people. Mm-hmm. And a favorite habit? My favorite habit is I go to the gym every morning and I, uh, I work out every morning an hour before starting at work. And uh, it's become my favorite habit for the last several years. And is there a key nugget you share that really seems to connect and resonate with folks that quote it back to you often? Yeah. Own less, live more. That our, our lives are too valuable to waste chasing and accumulating material possessions. Okay. And if folks want to learn more or get in touch, where would you point them? My home base online is becomingminimalist.com. So everything, do quite a few things, but that's the best place to, to always find me. And do you have a final challenge or call to action for folks looking to be awesome at their jobs? Man, find the meaning in your work. Don't see work as just the thing you do to bring home the paycheck, but find out how your job is helping others and serving others find the selfless side of your job and uh, focus on it. And you'll find more joy in it every single day. And you'll find more passion to excel in it as well. All right, Joshua, thank you. This has been a huge treat. I wish you much luck and fun in doing the things that matter. Thank you so much. I really appreciated Joshua's perspective on money and how we can sacrifice infinitely in order to acquire more. And it's an easy trap to fall into because I know if you're like me, I like winning and I like numbers and metrics and quantification of progress and money can be one such seductive metric. And yet it is far from inclusive. It is one piece of a much bigger pie. So great reminder to put money in its proper perspective and context to maximize your joy, minimize your distraction, get a lot more meaning and fun grooves going. Again, the show notes, the transcript, and the links to items that we've mentioned are over at awesomeatyourjob.com slash EP782. Hope to catch you next time and peace. Thanks for listening. To get the most out of the show, we recommend two key things. First, check out the extra resources at awesomeatyourjob.com. You can find this episode's transcript and links, as well as the perfect episode for your situation. You can search the full text transcripts of hundreds of episodes or explore episodes tagged by topic and competency covered. Second, subscribe to the podcast and get future episodes automatically. You can subscribe by telling Siri and several other smartphones and speakers, subscribe to the How to Be Awesome at Your Job podcast or by tapping subscribe in your podcast player of choice. 
If you'd like some extra help figuring out podcasts and how subscriptions work, visit awesomeatyourjob.com slash subscribe for guidance. Hope to catch you on the next episode of How to Be Awesome at Your Job.